In two days' time, the festival of the Passover and of unleavened bread was due. This would be something like the 1200th such Passover celebration. The whole city of Jerusalem was leaning in unto the table of its sacrament. The temple was clear now of its large, abnormally large Tuesday crowds. The evening rain of that Tuesday had burst upon the city, spent itself. Now the nighttime was dawning with skies clearing towards starriness. There was something strange and momentous feeling in the air. Everyone, even the least observant of the Jews of Jerusalem, could feel it. There was just something about this particular, call it, 1200th Passover. And in that setting, within that feeling, the chief priests and the scribes were trying to think of some trick by which they could get Jesus into their power and have him executed. But it must not be during the festival, they said, conferring together in their chamber, or there will be a riot. They had seen enough of riots, of intrigues and conspiracies to know of the inevitable fallout, especially with their Roman overlords. Evening passed into twilight, passed into darkness. What's that? A quiet knocking at the door of the chief priest's chamber. For you see, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, came to the chief priests, having decided to betray Jesus to them. He crossed the threshold of the chief priest's gathering room, head low. He came before the chief priest, the other religious leaders, the council, the scribes, all assembled there. Quietly, he explained his plan for the day after tomorrow. He had been thinking upon the details all week long. And when they heard what he had to say, they were delighted and undertook to pay him for it. The money was handed over as the simplest matter, of course. So he began looking out for a convenient opportunity to betray him. He pondered upon the potential schedule, not of tomorrow, but of the next day. Thus, Tuesday night passed, and Wednesday came and went. The Thursday of that Passover week dawned. South of the temple, a man startles awake beside his wife in bed. She is awoken by the suddenness of his movement. What is wrong? she asks, alarmed. I had a dream, he replies. He sits up on the edge of the bed and sets his feet upon the floor. The earliest light of dawn shines in through the window. The in-breathing air is cool with a morning mist. What was it? his wife asks. I was up in the upper room, he says. I was setting up the Seder, but more beautifully than usual. And I was all alone in doing it. And then I saw a group of men sitting there. And one man was at the center of it all. And then I saw him leave the room, followed by the others. Later, they returned without him. And then I saw them barring the doors and the windows. And then I felt their fear that he was gone. And yet I saw him there again, right in the middle of their midst. And then later, his voice trails off. His wife sits up and puts her hand upon the middle of his upper back. And then later, what, dear? she asks. 
Her husband doesn't look back. Later, he says, I saw that man return in the form of wind and fire. He began to burn and move in the hearts of those others. He rises to his feet and begins dressing. Where are you going? His wife asks, watching him from bed. To begin to prepare the upper room, he answers. On that first day of unleavened bread, the Thursday when the Passover was sacrificed, Jesus' disciples said, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? Jesus sent off two of them with these instructions. Go into the town, and you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him, and say to the owner of the house to which he goes, The master says, Where is the room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upstairs room all ready with the furnishings that we need. That is the place where you are to make your preparations. So the disciples set off and went into the town, found everything as he had told them, met that man, the owner of the house, and in that upper room prepared the Passover. Jesus himself spent most of the day alone, walking along narrow switchbacking trails that led eastward off the back of the Mount of Olives. He was noticeably thoughtful, if there'd been any other person nearby to notice. He spent the bulk of the day talking alone with his father. Late in the evening, he arrived to the upper room with the twelve. He was delighted at the care with which the room was set for him. Thankfully, and yet with a grave look in his eyes, he thanked the man who'd made it possible. He and the disciples spread themselves around the table. They reclined in the places which Jesus set for them. Except, what is Jesus doing? He has risen from the supper table, taken off his outer cloak, rolled up the sleeves of his tunic, picked up a towel, and pinned it around his waist. Then he takes a pitcher and pours some water into the basin by the door and begins to remove the disciples' sandals one by one. One by one, he then washes their feet. A stillness, like death, passes over the room. Peter breaks it. I can't let my Lord wash my feet. You don't know what I'm doing for you, Jesus says, kneeling down before him. But later on, you will understand. Never, Lord, Peter says, looking around. Jesus is looking upward into his eyes. Unless you let me do this, Peter, you are not part of me, he says, dead seriously. In that case, says Peter, all of me then. When Jesus finishes with the last of the twelve, a man of the south country called Judas Iscariot, he puts on his cloak, rinses his hands, and sits back down. The Passover supper may begin now. And while they were sitting there, right in the middle of the meal, Jesus remarked, speaking quietly, gently to all of them, Believe me, one of you is going to betray me, someone who is now having his supper with me. Of course, this shocked 
and distressed them. They turned side to side, looking at all the faces around the table, and one after another they began to say to him, Surely I'm not the one. Jesus' eyes, downturned, were on the table before him. It is one of the twelve, Jesus told them, a man who is dipping his hand into the dish with me. It is true that the Son of Man will follow the road foretold by the Scriptures, but, alas, for the man through whom he is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Judas Iscariot is slipping quietly from his couch at the table. Only John notices his silent leaving. He picks up his sandals, sitting over there next to the wash basin, and lets himself out the door into the darkness. Outside, it is night. And while they were still eating, Jesus took a loaf, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. They took it as the Jews of 1,200 years would take it, as 50 generations of Hebrews had taken it. They received it from his hands as absent-mindedly as all humanity receives all its rites of religion. They took the bread from the hands of Jesus, held it within their hands, and then waited together to eat it. And then he said these words, Take this. It is my body. And the history of all Israel collapsed. The old covenant disintegrated. Temple worship ceased to hold its meaning. All things were made new. Then he took a cup, and after thanking God, he gave it to them, and they drank from it, each in his turn. They sipped it as the Jews of 1,200 years would take it, as 50 generations of Hebrews had taken it. They received it from his hands as absent-mindedly, though their hearts were beginning to open, as they received the bread. They took the cup from the hands of Jesus, passed it one to another, and each took a sip, each in his turn. And then he said these words, This is my blood, which is shed for many in the new agreement. I tell you truly, I will drink no more wine until the day comes when I drink it fresh in the kingdom of God. And with those words, the kingdom of God had finally, fatally finished its great work. It had arrived in the midst of men. The blood of Jesus, less than 24 hours before it would cease to course his veins, was the sealing of its arrival, its permanence. His body and blood were the coping stone upon the finished plan of God, and it was almost finished. Then they sang a hymn, Jesus leading the singing with his full, throaty, strong voice, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. John had ceased thinking of Judas's strange absence, and the night was cool and profoundly dark. <laughs>